I'm Nick. And I'm Sean. And, and these, these are Our Fermenting Thoughts. Welcome to Fermenting Thoughts, sub-episodes of the Hot 4 podcast, trying to take a bit more of a, a topical look as and when things come up in the industry. And I'm joined by a new guest presenter, Sean Robertson. Hello. Uh, good morning, Nick. How are you doing? Very well indeed. Sean, I'm sure there's probably a lot of people in the brewing industry, not just in the UK, but from across Europe and other parts of the world that are familiar with you. But for anyone who isn't, given that you're going to be a regular voice on the Hot 4 podcast going forward, tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, thank you, Nick. Yep, um, 25 years in hospitality um, at the front end, running bars, restaurants and music venues, then uh, through to some a couple of microbrewery startups, one in Italy, um, and spending time uh, around the brewing industry for about two or three years on, on the shop floor, as it were, um, and, and being very humble about what I learned and has still got to learn, um, and then moved from there into distribution and brand building the last five and six years, um, notably Pirate Life um, Europe was set up as an entity uh, to build the brand that got sold to InBev late 2017, Guaylo recently, project I was grateful for throughout COVID, now embedded itself in the UK scene and is now being contract brewed by Brew York, uh, originally brewed by Vocation. Um, and so I am a um, self-styled uh, brand builder. Not I found myself building beer brands, but uh, I'm wanting to broaden, um, especially as we see the low and no alcohol scene develop. So yeah. I hope that's a good enough summary of where I'm at. I think that pretty summarises what you do quite well, having gotten to know you. So the purpose of these little mini episodes is that me and Sean are going to chew the fat about what's happening in the brewing and hospitality industry every other week, and sometimes maybe once a week, depending on what comes up. And we've already done a few episodes that you'll get to hear in the forthcoming weeks. But for this th first one, we wanted to jump straight into something quite topical. So by the time you hear this, this is going to be fresher than a heavily dry hopped IPA. Our response to brewery closures. So on, was it Saturday or Sunday? It might have even only been yesterday. It was announced that Wild Beer Co. had gone into administration, a really well-known brewery in the UK, renowned for making barrel-aged, sour, cultured beers amongst other beers, and just this very morning, Twisted Wheel have announced that they're shutting up. Old Kent Brewing as well, is that what they're called, Old Kent Brewery? Yeah, yeah. there's been a few um, in succession, and uh, and I'm sure we possibly missed a few on the wire as well. Um, and it's uh, it's troubling times, um, and I think as point of our discussion today, we'll be talking about the various... Um, startup models, how these breweries have funded themselves. Um, and because the immediate thought is, oh, well, um, and should be, you know, uh, this, this is terrible, another closure, um, jobs potentially lost, investors will take over quickly. Um, but uh, I do think it's important to say that we're seeing also, despite the economic times, we're also seeing uh, a revision needing to be had on how brewery startups are funded. What's your take on that then? Well, we take the Wild Beer one, um, from my understanding, and it's, it's only summary notes from also what's been posted yesterday, but, um, you know, they, they went through a large crowdfund um, 
you know, which raised 1.8 million. Um, you know, they have uh, a trajectory which has been not uncommon in the last sort of five and eight years across the industry. Again, from a crowdfunding perspective, not to isolate that. We'll talk about other funding um, at, in a minute, but um, I do feel that uh, there's sometimes, not always, a great distance from the actual people that. Are Put their money in. I think. I think in their case, I don't want to get my figures wrong, so forgive me for that. But let's call it, you know, two thousand people contributing, roughly nine hundred and a thousand pounds each. Um, and and that's not the correct figure, but you know, the point being that you know, those people are likely to see no return on that whatsoever. Now, it doesn't matter whether it's two hundred, two thousand, or twenty thousand. The fact of the matter is that people have put their faith in uh, being communicated to. Um, about you know the the positioning and development of the brewery, and I just don't think that that reaches down to the level of the individual contributor. That's my my view. What about the breweries like Twisted Wheel, breweries that have started up that have either had some industry experience, like I believe Twisted Wheel had, or maybe came into it fresh. You know, I'm starting to see a lot of microbreweries, relatively the smaller ones. You're talking like 10, 15 UK barrel that are coming out saying, oh, we started a brewery, you know, seven years ago, whatever. And because of the cumulative effect of COVID, Brexit, cost of living, and a variety of other factors, you know, the, the fact that the market is just so saturated with craft beers that they're struggling what about those breweries, Sean? What do you think? How do you think it's going to pan out for a lot of breweries like that? Because I would imagine there are a lot of listeners now who own or work in breweries of that kind of size. You know, relatively small team has been ticking by. They're not going to be millionaires. <laughs> I think it's uh, the, the whole part of their supply chain and production end to end. To answer the question, I think that various terminology has been used um, by beer writers and commentators. Um, uh, going into far more depth than than I am, but again, so this is a broad sweep comment. But I think um, they they need to be and have adapted um, some throughout COVID and uh, in this period of uh, economic stress, if I could put it that way. And they've gone and embraced their local dynamic, um, if I can put it that way. So they reach out there. Uh, obviously, we've talked previously about their web and their digital communication um, and if they continue to focus on that, um, then I'm sure that they will tough it out. And uh, and uh, these are very robust people that work in these teams and startups. So um, as long as they've got a good community embrace and their original funding, um, whatever its makeup is, um, if they can stabilise that, then that's just like any other business startup. But I think the problem across craft brewing is there's been a, a largely amateur approach to um, to not only the funding for the next three and five years, um, almost, almost with an expectation that they would reach certain sales levels. Um, and of course, as you've said, the market's actually saturated. So to find anybody uh, to one new customer as a customer, well, one, and uh, you've got to continually reinvent your sensitivity to the market 
So um, he's an example, you know, and, and relatively local to me, but, uh, and he's just one bro of the year, but so it's not to name check him for that reason, but because of the style in which he does things, I'm talking about Andy Parker, Elusive Brewing. Uh, that's the kind of reach out. These are people that really feel their business day to day and communicate everything about the emotion and the running of it. And that is what wins you time, people, um, sales, et cetera. I've been thinking about it over the last couple of days, actually, and I, I wonder whether the smaller breweries will be okay, hopefully, <laughs> that will have had the foresight to set it up with some kind of direct-to-consumer model because, you know, you're not making huge volumes. So if you've got your own pubs or a micro pub or tap room to sell through, you know, and you can just galvanise your community around you, hopefully you should be fine because you retain your margin. I wonder whether in cases a brewery like Wild Beer Co and maybe others of that size that who knows who's teething on the edge and struggling, but they've got huge volumes to fill. And I was talking to Dave Hayward from a hoppy place, a bottle shop in Windsor and Maidenhead fairly recently. And we were saying, if you're going to a supermarket, we'll take Tesco in the UK as an example. There's far less variety of craft beers now. You know, you see Brewdog, Northern Monk, London Beer Factory, and one one or two others. They seem to have like a, a, a small selection of suppliers giving them a variety of beer styles. Vocation's another one as well. Whereas I remember when Tesco first started stocking craft beers, you were seeing all kinds of breweries in there. Whereas um, now, even if you look at Morrison's, it's I know they've put beer fridges in Morrison's, which is like a, a huge step forward for a supermarket to be putting beer fridges in. Um which I still can't get my head round. But even they are, again, taking limited brewers with a variety of SKUs. Yeah, I think, I think you've got to really pace yourself into which channels you're in and do you really understand the animal, if I could put it in that way, that that particular channel is. So isolating supermarkets for ease of purpose, um, you know, you really have to understand how they buy, when they buy, the expectation from their side. It's interesting that one of the the bigger fulfillment um, operations, Beer Hawk and Beer Bods is now gone. Um, as an example, you know, we know that, um, you know, a couple of the biggest subscriber um, have also gone under and that's an indication of the margins are just not, you can't, you can't let those margins go, um, which is why direct is always best clearly if you can manage it, um, whether it be, and you do get, um, you know, you do get supermarkets, um, uh, Alan Rice at Atom won't mind me saying that early days they got a relationship with um, Asda and Asda were paying two weekly. Um, and basically you've got a support model that was form and function for both parties. And similarly with vocation, um, those that know this vocation story, um, they were very uh, quietly energised from day one by Tesco's um, engagement. So that essentially fueled their expansion to where they are now um, yeah. and they always have that solid revenue but it's a matter of really really understanding the buyer the buyer cycles um and keeping things clearly interesting for said buyer um often those buyers in different markets are also uh more more and more experienced in the supermarkets now thankfully but if you'd asked about a supermarket beer buyer five and eight years ago they wouldn't have had a clue is the honest truth and um you know, if you look at uh, independent pub chains and other operations, the, these the, these are the 
this goes back to my point about hyperlocal. You know, get to know your local pub codes, your local bottle shops, your, and so that your identity is totally um, in combination with your local crowd and then pace your expansion from there before you start to go into other channels which are aggressive um, and mean margins. It'd be good to chat about our predictions going forward. So I'd love to know... Looking into your crystal ball, obviously, Sean. <laughs> um, like in March next year, let's just take the next quarter. Like, where where do you see things going? Do you, do you think we're going to see more breweries going under? Yeah, we're just going to see a. I mean, it's was, it was already be hinted at in the wild beer. Um, I think it's the financing arm in debt, I believe they're called, and they will. I would suggest they will buy wild beer and they just reset it and we all know how we all know how that works but ultimately the original investors lose out and that's just not at that end of the market in terms of financing they'll stick around because like you said they've already got brand presence they've already got uh, volumes etc um but i think and it's interesting your other point about the smaller operations i also think they'll be fine if they just consolidate and just ride out the storm um but uh, it's that middle ground where people have spread themselves too thin and their costs are obviously uh, going up across the board. And I think we're going to see a consolidation um, and hopefully some more well-thought-out strategic partnerships, which is no bad thing on the strategic partnership side, you know, just help each other out. The industry has always been collaborative, but we're going to see a lot of casualties yeah. across the country. It's interesting, like you say, about collaboration, Sean, because I don't know if you saw about Red Church Brewery, again, a brewery that had been crowdfunded and had all kinds of issues when uh, they got bought in a, um, was it a pre-packed buyout or something? Um, yeah, pre-packed. Yeah. Yeah. Which, again, um, for those that don't know, and I think it's an important point to make, um, you know, I'll, just, I'll say it straight, you know, there are some countries where pre-packed administrations are illegal and... Uh, you know, um, it, it's, it, it goes back to the point of anybody in entering the industry or ha- looking at their financing or um, I, I'm personally, I err on the side of the uh, of the make it illegal crowd, frankly, because it's just a savage way to uh, reset a company mm. and um, yeah, um, totally selfish. Yeah. Well, in this instance, it was Brighton based, the Lane Brewing Company that bought Red Church. I mean, that slips by largely unnoticed. And I, I do believe that they're keeping some of Red Church's range under their own portfolio. Um, but it's it's interesting that that's happened because of, I was listening to the Sheffield Hopcast last week and they were interviewing James O'Hara and Simon Webster, who at Simon's, of Thornbridge and James O'Hara um, is of tram, the Tramlines Festival and owns a variety of pubs and bars in Sheffield. And, th- and they wanted to come up with a way to save Kellam Island Brewery that announced earlier this year that they were going under. And this story came out that they'd saved Kellam Island Brewery. And I didn't realise till I heard that podcast that the bricks and mortar and the tanks themselves weren't up for sale. <laughs> it was literally, they were buying the brand. So Pale Rider is the only... Kellam Island beer at present they brew and it's brewed at Thornbridge Hall. I wonder whether what we'll start to see in the case of maybe breweries like maybe even Wild Beer Co is other 
larger breweries buy them. The brands get brewed, essentially, a bit like Bass of old, you know, but this will be like the the modern wave of it. Yeah, very much so. I mean, again, that's um, one of my, you know, strong feelings that, you know, let us treat all customers and potential customers with the greatest respect, like we should do at all times and explain um, the the great um, uncommunicated fact that there's a lot of contract brewing a lot of white labeling um and then it's down to the individual consumers to feel far more comfortable with that and not find out later um and feel possibly not always but possibly a little irked at the fact that they don't know these things and they might and as they go on their beer journey and then start to you know or have established a loyalty let's let's take neck oil from beaver town as an example i was talking to my one of my cousins uh yesterday about it and he drinks in his local in Portsmouth and he's saying yeah great range etc you know and going through all of it essentially what are now Heineken owned brand including Beavertown of course so I said they're all the same they're all owned by Heineken um, and they put their stamp on it now not in a I wasn't saying it in some sort of you're trying to be clever manner he just said oh I didn't know that um does it make a difference to the individual consumer? I just think that people should be told that these these things are quite common. It's not necessarily a bad thing. And if you've got a contract brewer that's of a high stand, in fact, it's an elevation of the of the brand quite often. Yeah, well, um, people don't know that often, do they? You know, if you go through the morning advertiser and the statistics they put out recently of the most popular quote-unquote craft brands like you say it's all like ab inbev and heineken you know Cam- camden hells and camden pale and yeah like say neck oil and so on and so forth and the vast majority of beer drinkers don't know and i remember my business mentor once saying to me most people can't tell one beer from another so it's, it's very easy when you're in the craft beer world and you're a brewer you know or whatever and you're into beer to think everyone knows all this stuff, but they really don't. It's really a responsibility, and sorry, Nick, but you know, I'm just taking it on because I feel as strongly as you do about it. It's a responsibility of the industry to put all that out there and, and, and see the feedback, and I'm sure it'll be positive, which is that, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that master brewers often have an oversight on you know, the development or strategic relationship like Red Church with um, Lanes, which is perfectly sound. Um, Really good news for all parties, keeps the cost down. It's what they call, and it's a slightly harsh way of putting it, but it's what they call a forced drop into the estate. So, you know, the guaranteed volume, obviously, for Red Church um, and uh, more forecastable um, and allows them then to do their other things. Um, and, 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 and I'm sure vocation would say that self to go back to them as an example, you know, they, the Tesco's was the starter for them contract. And then of course, then we would, with the, they're moving at a pace and a beautiful pace with, you know, barrel aging program and styles and et cetera. So strategic relationships are a positive or should be. Just to round up then, I think it'd be really good for us to maybe explore a few things that brewers listening to this can do to help safeguard themselves and their businesses during this time. I've got a few suggestions, but if you want to go first with anything off the cuff that you can think of. No, you you roll first on this one. I'll, I'll uh, cause you're brewing yourself and you're very modest about it, but. Um... Well, I mean, my, the scale I'm doing it has so, so nominal that, you know, I'm not going to be out on the street 
begging for food or whatever if my if that goes if I stop doing that um but you know having said that even on a small scale you know I'm, I'm aware of cash flow in my business at the moment because obviously I specialize in craft beer and the craft beer industry you know I've noticed inquiries have, have gone down and dipped over the last few months especially since the whole list trust absolute shit show I'm watching the pennies, but I'm I'm looking when I'm brewing things at the cost of hops and cryo hops and that kind of thing going up, even on a small scale. And I'm thinking, well, if it's expensive for me, think of a brewery that's like 20 heck sticking all that cryo pop or whatever. I'm not singling you can the chief out by any stretch when I say this is across the board, but like I'm just using that as an example because they are quite expensive. Like, you know, think of a, a 20 heck brewer sticking that in their FV. Um so I guess, I guess the, the few things I thought was obviously time to be budgets and cash flow as much as possible. And like we've said throughout, don't overstretch yourself. It's And th- th- these are easy mistakes to look back with the, with the benefit and beauty of hindsight and say, oh, we shouldn't have done that. But I always come back to a quote from, have you seen Scarface? Do you know the yeah. film with Al Pacino? There's a, there's a bit where Al Pacino first comes to the USA and I can't remember the name of the mobster who he works under, but this guy says to him, you know, these guys that come here, they want a green card. They want to go big. They want to go to the top, you know, but they don't last in this business. If you want to last in this business, you stay low, you play the slow game. And that's what I often I think needs to happen. And we can all get stars in our eyes and think, oh, I need to like, you know, have exponential growth. And sometimes it pays off, but, it only takes a few things to happen, a few missteps that you don't realise to get yourself into a vulnerable position. So I would say I can imagine not everyone listed to this is going to be in a high growth position. A lot of people are just going to be hand to mouth. That's what often what it's like working in a reasonably sized brewery. So I think the best thing to do is speak to your financial advisor and get some financial insights and do what you can to tighten your budgets. I wanted to pick up on the financial advisor point. You know, who is your financial advisor? Um, Do they and are they uh, sharp to the market opportunity? Do they really understand your business? I mean, the days of old, and it's a cliche, but 25 and 30 years ago, the number of, you know, times you'd hear about the bank manager conversation, the bank manager knew the business, really knew the business. Um, you could you could have a small farm holding, you could have a small brewery, the list goes on. But they, you really have to think, yeah, where am I getting my financial advice? Do they understand the dynamics of my business? Um, what's my communication with them like? Um, and that goes for all of your relationships because obviously the financial relationship will then drive your relationship with your Hop supplier, malt supplier, the list goes on. Every single supplier, you need to reset and say, what do those relationships look like? How solid are they? And um, and then just concentrate on the core. Yeah, absolutely. I think the other thing you can do if you're listening to this is look at your KPIs. If you don't know what that means, then maybe we're in trouble straight away. But it, key performance indicators, you basically need to look at what's performing the best in your business. And I'm not just like, which beer sells the best. I'm just like, what streams of income do you have that are outperforming other streams? So obviously if your tap room outperforms your sales to trade by like, I don't know, something ridiculous, like 10 to one, then you, you really double down on the tap room. You should be doubling down on your tap room anyway, in my opinion <laughs> at the moment. Um, but I think it's very easy to not look at those KPIs and to just 
try and do it on a wing and a prayer. And you need cold, hard data as to what's working and what isn't. And then cut the fat and be as lean as possible on the things that aren't working and really invest and reinvest your time and energy in the things that are. And again, all that's easier said than done, particularly if you're in a situation where you're in a negative cash flow cycle, because the minute you get into that negative cash flow cycle, you've had it, you're chasing money, you're fighting fires and your brain isn't in a place to think proactively. You're, you're being reactive. And if you're able to take yourself out of, let's say you own a brewery or a, a bottle shop or a bar, whatever, and that's struggling. If you're able to take yourself out of your workplace, even for a few hours, you know, once a week and just work on your business and look at the practical reality of what's in front of you and try as hard as you can to come up with solutions, then I think it is possible to move forward and to realign the ship and ride the storm. Yeah, I concur with everything absolutely everything you've said and it's just literally being up in the uh, crow's nest to use the old term and, and seeing what's what's inbound do you understand if, if you are a a seaman of uh of a, of a high highly experienced seaman I, I would imagine you'd be able to read not only the weather forecasts in depth and, and it's, it's just a, it's the same analogy isn't it um where's it all going and uh, who can I look to advice and be humble about that? Like we all reached out, I certainly did in, in COVID and reached out to various acquaintances in the industry and said, how are you reading this? What are you doing about it? Uh, how are you feeling about it? Um, and just talk to your peer group that you trust, um, obviously. And going back to the financials, you know, what's your, is, is all your information live? Is it really live? You know, do you know what's happening to, like your core customer base as as you've hinted out if the core customer base is again in your example um buying mainly from your tap room then just double down on that and uh um and and and, and ensure that you can like we all do watch watch the pennies um and uh, and also it gives you thinking time on on your brand you know, it gives you time to reevaluate. Um, you know, do we need to do we need to go back to so so ease of example, somebody like Timmy Taylor's who um I think in the last five and six years, I mean, I've been very impressed with the way in which they've marketed themselves. This is a stalwart, incredibly highly thought of beer um and brand in the market, if I can put it that way. And yet they've been humble enough to say, our communication wasn't strong enough. Our marketing wasn't strong enough. People didn't understand our values enough. So let's address that. Yeah. I guess the two other points, and I'll, I'll do these quickly. Get onto your MP and make it clear in no uncertain terms what support your business needs. Uh, like for what it's worth, you know, they're there to represent you, whether they do or not, depending on which party you vote for. I'm not going to try and get too political I can can help you I'll punch through all the politics there because I'm not shy of it I I, I think the overriding look they have our best or they should do but the connect between the BPPA for example you know and and uh, new ministers for pubs I don't know but the fact of the matter it's all wishy-washy it's all you know we need advice now so as you say directly contact your MP you know they're, they're your they're your constituency they're there to represent you 
you know, and then you'll see their met, their real metal. Yeah. And I guess the last one, and we've touched upon this a little bit, but I think it's good just to reiterate again and just maybe explore for a couple more minutes before we round up, is to galvanise support from your community and your followers. And I think that no amount of money can buy a community. Like people need community. We've become more isolated than ever before partly because of COVID, partly because of the internet era. I remember growing up, as I'm, I'm sure you, you, obviously you're older than I'm sure, but you'll be able to relate to this. I'm sure I remember growing up and like playing in the street with my mates. Like you oh, don't yeah. see, you don't see that these days. Like kids don't play in the streets with their mates. You know, it's everyone's just glued to their phone and, and feeling more and more isolated. And so when people do gather together and have some kind of form of regular community, there's, there's a real not to get too Lord of the Rings about it, like there's a real fellowship and kinship about it. And I think if you can, in your venue, whether you're an operator of some description or a brewery that has a tap room, if you can galvanise your community and your core collection of loyal fans, these are the people that will throw money at you for every bit of merch, every special beer release, whatever, then, and you can get them to bring their mates along and be ambassadors for you, then that's going to help you loads. Absolutely. There's a few examples around the um, the country of that that we both know, um, and probably not for this, but, you know, the, yeah, you couldn't be more right on that one. And I was minded to go back to the, I think it was the week before last, when St. Orstall, um have bought a large share in Harbour. Um, yes. And I thought that's the kind of forward thinking that at that level of strategic um, protection and uh, and relationship that everybody, it doesn't matter what size your business is, you've got to be thinking in that way. Um, you know, what, what, what could you do to identify with your community and give yourself some development time? And, and, and I'd just like to drop one in to this. Um, a lot of people don't think about there's opportunity in these times. So it's not all negative and it's not all, and it shouldn't be all worry. You know, the the greatest business thinking in these periods is to think, right, okay, well, how do I want to develop? What is the innovation? The challenge is down. Um, and there are, as we probably all know these days, you know, uh, tax breaks in research and development. A lot of it you can write off if you've, if you've been trading for a while. Um, you can... And if you haven't done that, you should do it tomorrow. Is get your accountant to ask what R and D um, funds you can get back um, year end because they are there. And anybody, anybody in the industry that hasn't done that to date should do it tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. I definitely think looking for the opportunity is key, and trying to keep that hope in there. And I don't mean hope in a wishy washy. I'm really wishing for something, but just, you know, the way I would describe hope is that you've had a mindset which has been very one-dimensional for a while, and then you have a realisation, like an epiphany moment where you're like, oh, I could do this differently. You know, it doesn't have to be this way. And that might sound a little bit guru and... <laughs> you know, self-help management type 
crap. And not at all. It's, it's, it's interesting what you said about the kids playing in the street together. Um, your employees are those kids playing in the street together with you. And so, again, the, the smallest thing you can do and should do on a daily, well, on a daily basis, but certainly however you have you work with your um, staff, um, give them the respect and appreciation to communicate to them um, on a weekly basis, whatever meetings are held, so that they all feel involved. And, you know, if it's looking stormy for the next three months, just tell them, you know, um, and tell them why and, and the position that you're in. And that's called teamwork. That's just that's just like a sports team, you know, um, two down with five minutes to go. Go! <laughs> and you won it three two there you go well um i think we should round up there today sean so um just so our listeners know um so as i've said you're gonna be on the hot four podcast more regularly from now on so we'll be able to hear your dulcet tones as well as mine um but we're also gonna be working together a little bit more aren't we um on a variety of projects so if if people want to get in touch with you um to tap into your commercial expertise and experience how can they do that Right, so um, as you said, we will finalise our um, our dual platforms shortly. Um, but in the interim, I, I'm on social. Um, direct message me at Beer Agent uh, on Twitter or Instagram, um, or direct email is pubbusiness at gmail.com and mobile 07900355688. But I will get back to you instantly. Um, and that's the beauty of all of these ways to uh, to get and connect. As, as far as you've been kind enough to say, really, I'm not pitching for business necessarily. If you've got uh, any question or you'd like advice, um, I'm so happy, so happy to give spot advice to the best of my ability um, and knowledge. Yeah. Likewise, I mean, the Hot Four podcast has always been about helping brewers and beer professionals since... I started it in 2018 and that is still the goal that if you listen to this, wherever you are in the world, whether you're in the UK, the USA, we get a lot of listeners from the USA as well. Um, you know, we're here to help. So you've got Sean's details. If you if you want to find out more about Hot Four, there is a new website coming very soon. Seems to be working day and night to get that live. Um, but you can go to the current one, which is hotford.beer or follow me at hotfordbeers.com. If you want to email me, particularly with anything to do with branding and marketing, uh, just contact me, nick at hotford.beer. And I'm sure between the two of us, um, somewhere, we can, we we'll, can help. We'll, and... we'll make sure the, we win it 3-2. Yeah, absolutely. Right, well, <laughs> let's round up for today. Cheers, Sean. Thank you, Nick, as always. Look forward to the next jolly. 